This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com. Thanks for joining us. Big show coming up. Richard Crowell to preview Tasmania in just a sec. We'll also catch up with Milwaukee Racing's Will Davison. What a fantastic start to the year it's been for him. And Braxy to bring us up to date with everything on two wheels. All that to come here on The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com. Let's kick it off. Richard Crowell joins us on the line. Crowley, good day to you. Sebeki, good uh, day. How are you? I'm not too bad, buddy. I'm not too bad. Uh, getting ready, though, for what should be a, a big weekend of supercars, the Tire Power Tasmania Super Sprint down there at Simmons Plain. The 47th time that the Australian Touring Car Championship or the Supercars Championship has competed down in Simmons Plain, which makes it the second most used track in Australia behind Sandown. It's a terrific place. Uh, just it, it eats motorsport history every time you go there. And uh, I, I love the fact that it's a, a it's a boring, isn't it? As they'd say in yeah. the States, it's a short track. It's elbows out, uh, really hard racing. But it's a, it's a fast racetrack. It's quite a quick circuit. Only three or four real meaningful corners for these cars. So as a result, it's always fiercely close, fiercely competitive racing. But I like it. And, and over the years, there's been talk and proposals about extending Simmons Plains and I just do not see the need. No. I think the diversity of going from Simmons Plains, which at 2.6 Ks is one of the shortest, if not the shortest track on the calendar, to going to a 4.6 K circuit the week after and the fastest track on the on the calendar. Um, I think that's great. That's the variety that the sport needs and deserves and wants. So um, I love it. I think it's great. It's the old uh, half-mile NASCAR track to the uh, to the full mile, isn't it? So, yeah, you're well, it right. Is. It's a totally different thing. No, 100%. And, and it's it's got so much character to it. It's got close walls. It's got undulation. It's got two really big braking zones. It's got that famous hairpin where there's always dramas, whether it's overtaking moves or people being stupid and crushing into each other or um, passes for the lead or people trying to do burnouts on the exit of the corner and spinning. <laughs> uh, hello, Jamie. Uh, it just, it's a great racetrack. I love it. Uh, last year, you and I went and watched the supercar race from the hill at turn one, didn't we? We did, and it was, correct. And watched Craig Lowndes storm to a victory. It was just brilliant. And it's a great spectator circuit. And Tasmanians, man, they love their motorsport. They are crazy about the sport, um, which I love and, and, you know, it's a place that deserves to hold around and have it in perpetuity. And I hope in three years we're celebrating the 50th uh, ATCC slash Supercars event there because uh, it should be on the calendar and should be there permanently. Yeah, it should be. Uh, speaking of Craig Lowndes and uh, the team he raced for, Triple Eight, they've been dominant down at Simmons Plains in the last uh, few years. One, 10 out of the last 12 races, only Will Davison really stopping them uh, with his techno win on Sunday in 2016. Uh, not sure we're going to get that sort of dominance this weekend, though, are we? Well, do you know what I think is going to happen? So the the parity changes have been made and the centre of gravity stuff that's been well reported. We don't really need to cover off again because it's already been done. Here's what's going to happen. This is a racetrack that Triple Eight, as you say, have been dominant at for the better part of a decade. So there's no reason to suspect that they won't continue that form at Simmons Plains, irrespective of the troubles they've been having at the start of the year. So Simmons Plains goes to Holden in both races. And all the Ford teams complain that they've been unfairly penalised after two rounds. Mm. And like it's just the script's going to write itself for this and it'll just be another week of banter and bickering and back and forth about parody that no one really cares about. But um, it's a good story for everyone writing or talking about it. So, And it is. The, the thing, though, is, is this really is – this could be a defining round – in regards to that, and I say that based on the fact that when we spoke to Brad Jones last week with Dale, his comment was that he believed the centre of gravity only 
was uh, was only twenty percent of the problem. The rest of the problem, he believes, is in the aero. So mm. they've changed the centre of gravity. If Mustangs were still to be extremely dominant down at Simmons Plains, do supercars then go away and say, "All right, well, maybe it wasn't the centre of gravity. Maybe we do have to look at other things as well." And if that dominance continues in a week later at a totally different track at Phillip Island, then surely yeah. red flags have to wave again. But but do they though? Because, no, well they don't, is- but they will. But this, and this is the point, yeah, only because people agitate Correct, behind yeah. the scenes. But this is the point that we've been making on this show since the start of the year, is that I'm not convinced two rounds is, now Now the, the parody may be out, and the CFG was, was out, clearly. They've measured it, they've found out that it wasn't balanced, so they've balanced it. That's fine, don't have a problem with that. But we're only two rounds in, mm. and, and what we're going to get now is a false economy, because if Holden goes and dominates this weekend, as they've done for the last 10 years at Simmons Plains, then all the four teams go, oh, we've been nobbled too much. Yes. When the, <laughs> the fact remains that Ford haven't won anything there for years. So it's a false economy. And then at Phillip Island, the Mustangs probably will go and win regardless because, well, it probably should because it's it's a fast race car and they've done a brilliant job on it. But it'll still be a false economy because no one will really know whether it's Aero or CFG or anything. So this this is the problem that, it's a lose-lose for supercars. So I, I think, to be brutally honest, they've done a brilliant job in managing the CFG thing. They've been very upfront about it. They were they were very proactive in jumping onto this problem, perceived or otherwise, and, and clearly there was a disparity in it, and they've resolved that. And in a category with technical parity, that's key. So good on them. I think they've done a really impressive job in managing this, and, and Adrian Burgess and those guys, Campbell Little, have done a, a, a great job. They're, they're on a hiding to nothing because it's still it's still going to be a false economy of the actual true form guide because we just we still don't know whether it's Shelby Power Racing doing a brilliant job, Scott McLaughlin doing an even better job, Triple Eight battling with their twin spring change back mm-hmm. to a linear damper, things linear springing, things like that. We just don't know, and that, I mean that's part of the beauty of the early part of the season. But I just the knee jerk reactions are bothering to me because you just don't know and they might go too far the other way. I don't know. That's my thoughts. But, uh, the, um, but look, in their defence, and to to counter, contradict everything I just said, Chubex, mm-hmm. is that those at Supercars have clearly more information than me or you or anybody else. They know what they're doing. I've got faith that they are they are good enough to, to make it work and to, to nail this. And it, it's hard to complain about parity when you get fields covered by six tenths of a second, which we still get, irrespective of Mustang or not. So it's easy for us to go and waffle on about it, but they're doing a brilliant job, and um, they'll continue to do that, I'm sure. But I just, in the back of my mind, I think oh, it's just too early in the season to get a real form guide about yeah where people are at with so many variables. Anyway, I know we both love a really good stat, and I did like this one that uh, this has been Ford's best start to a season winning the first six races since uh, 2009. In mm. that season, Ford won in the brand-new FG Falcon. They clean-swept Adelaide, Hamilton and Winton, and then Holden ended that streak in race seven at Tasmania. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So race seven at Tasmania. Yep. I, I will – I don't – I'm not a betting man, Chebex. Get on. I would, th- I would throw money at – a triple eight engineered Holden, irrespective of whether it's a Red Bull car or who knows, it could be a Matt Stone car for all we know. I will put money on them winning race one at Simmons Plains, race well, seven of the championship. And I agree with you. I think a Holden probably will win race seven at Simmons Plains. I just, I'm not 100% convinced that it's going to be a Red Bull. I reckon it could even come from a Brad Jones racing car. Yeah, it could do. They're in good touch, aren't they? They're, um, they're punching on at the moment. That's an operation that has had a, a great off-season. They haven't been affected so much by the damper change and heard Brad Jones talking about their start to the season last week. So, yeah, really impressive. I thought um, I thought that was great. I love the sort of the surprise when they ended up one and two on the grid in yeah. race um, the third race in Melbourne. So, hang on a minute, what, what's going on here? <laughs> but but that was a full credit to BJR and the job that they're doing for, um, 
for having those cars in that position in the first place and to be able to capitalise on it. Uh, very, very much so. Uh, interesting, though, uh, qualifying always seems to be a, a big thing down in Tasmania, and uh, it's not a circuit that's easily uh, used as a passing circuit. You, you, if you're sort of up the front, you normally generally stay up there. Qualifying, of course, is different for this round down in Tasmania as uh, most of the other rounds throughout the year where you have the practice session in the morning. I do like this idea of the practice session in the morning, three qualifying sessions, Q1, 2 and 3, and then your race later on that afternoon with the Park Ferme change as well, let's remember, where you really can't do much to the car between that qualifying period and the race. Yeah, so it's another learning weekend, and we go back to that knockout-style elimination quality format, which I thought worked quite well last year, and they've, they've slowly but surely tweaked that system over the intervening period, and uh, I think it's it's pretty good. Um, and on those short racetracks, Simmons Plains, Barbagello, uh, it, it just creates more space on the racetrack so you don't get those massive traffic issues we've seen in the past. I have no problems with that. I thought it's, it's a great system, works really well. Um yeah, it just just variables. So the, the variables keep it interesting, don't they? And it just creates some new new things for teams to have to deal with it every round. Um, and I like that. I think that's good. And the but the good teams are always going to be right on top of that. It may mm. throw up a few strange little results, but at the same time, if Car Seventeen's not on pole for one of the two races down there, I'll be very surprised. Irrespective of the fact that we've just talked about that it's one of the most Holden-dominated tracks on the calendar. Um, Scotty's just in such a league of his own at the moment in, in one lap pace. Uh, it, it's remarkable. And, you know, he was on pole at Albert Park for one of the races by almost half a second. Half a second yeah. in supercars. It's just it's light years. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's one driver doing a better job than anybody in quality at the moment. But, um, yeah, I, I, the knockout stuff's good. I think it throws it up. And, and you know, it's worked so long in Formula 1 that we may as well have a crack of it here. Erebus come to Simmons Plains with a bit of an upgrade to their car. A new front upright is expected to help Dave Reynolds uh, improve his position in the standings, which hasn't been spectacular so far at the start of the year, has it? No, would they be the biggest disappointment of the year? Disappointment's a harsh word. But do you think they're... Yeah, they're the biggest head-scratch of the year, I think. You you sort of look at it and you think, what has gone wrong? Yeah, because we all rolled into the year going, oh, like they, they, they could be legitimate contenders. Without a like, doubt. Based on how they ended last season, Reynolds was at the front in just about every race, probably should have won Bathurst, uh, won in Newcastle, you know, was just regular contenders. And we all thought that that last final little step of them taking one leap forward to be a contender week in, week out was going to come this year, and it just hasn't. And like two rounds in early days, this could be their weekend. It could be... It could be two David Reynolds victories continuing that streak for Holden. We don't know. It could be Anton Di Pasquale for all we know. But, um, yeah, it's been strange. I, I hope we see them back at the front very, very soon because um, it was such a good story last year and it's such a great little race team that, that just go motor racing. They're just a hardcore motorsport outfit now and so very well led by Barry Ryan and the team they've got assembled there with two great drivers. So, um, yeah, that was a strange one. I think this will be a big test for that team to see if those changes do work and if they can re- start to rediscover some of that 2018 form. All right. Give us your thoughts about uh, who wins on the weekend. Uh, I, I, well, look, I, I honestly think that a Holden will win race seven. It'll be a Red Bull car. Um, probably win cup. Um, I think Jamie's driving exceptionally well this season. I'm not a, not a judge of that, and my opinion on how Jamie's driving means nothing, but the results stand for for where he's at so far in the championship. And um, I don't think he particularly enjoyed not being in the fight last year. So it's been a really resurgent effort for Jamie this year. So let's go with Jamie winning race seven. But I, I think a Mustang will win race eight. And I think it'll be McLaughlin. Um, he's just in such good touch. But but expect Mostert to be at the front as well. And I really like Chaz and how he's going this year. Coming off the back of a good weekend, at Laguna Seca driving the BMW yeah. uh, in the uh, in the California eight hours, and and we should say well done to Timmy Slade and Nick Foster. A couple of Aussie blokes got the win in the Hub Auto Ferrari, so well done to those guys. So they'll both be uh, maybe a little jet lag, but uh, Slady and Chaz will be uh, in pretty good spirits. You think heading down to the Apple Isle? I'm really enjoying seeing some of these Aussie supercar drivers getting out and doing some other stuff. I think it's just imperative on them keeping their mind fresh for the year. Yeah, I agree, and 
we've said it before, it speaks volumes for how good our championship yeah, is. Correct. And and the Bathurst twelve hour, and we've talked about this for years, is often such a good event for that reason because supercars are such a unique animal. No one really knows uh, who's great and who's not outside of Australia and New Zealand because they're such a unique car to drive and to drive well. But I love it when our blokes and ladies go and jump in international categories, GT3 or whatever it might be, and and are just as fast as some of the best drivers in the world. I love that. And I think it's a great advert for Australian motorsport and the talent we've got here. And Tim Slade drives that Ferrari exceptionally well. And Chas Mostert's loved by BMW. And um, BM are frustrated he can't do more with them later this year because uh, of the clashes he's got with his full-time gig. But, you know... Mostert could walk into a factory BMW drive tomorrow, you'd imagine, and, and go and race in, you know, IMSA racing in the States or GT3 in Europe, and they'd have him. So um, they rate him very, very highly, which is great for the sport here. I'd be interested to see if it can work the other way around, too, with stories this week, uh, especially on speakerfa.com, in regards to John Martin and the possibility that he could uh, drive a Wilkinshaw Andretti United supercar in Super 2s. Of course, he's had a fair bit of GT experience over the years, hasn't he? Yeah, open wheel experience, raced British Formula 3, raced A1 GP for Team Australia. Um, yeah, good good driver, and he's got history with that team because last two years he's been racing a walk-and-show prepared Porsche in Australian GT with Liam Talbot. So, uh, yeah, good guy. Be a good get for Super 2. Got to say, Super 2 and Super 3, former V8 Touring Car Series, both really strong this year. A lot of great talent coming up through both series. And, um, you know, they've, they've got this... The MotoGP style ladder right now, don't they? With mm. Super Three, Super Two, and into main game, um, it, it looks like it's working a treat. And there's this flow of talent coming up through, and you've got big teams engaged in all three levels of supercar racing now. So, as long as your your support categories and your your pathway to the top are strong. Um, then your main game is always going to be strong because you've got that flow of talent coming up through the ranks. Yeah, really looking forward to uh, F4 champion from last year, Jay Nojada, uh, driving in the yeah. Super Threes this year. Just seeing how he uh, how he can adjust to that, mate. I'll get your thoughts on F1 as well. Bahrain was the uh, the scene for F1 action over the weekend. Uh, not good for Renault. Dan Ricciardo and uh, Nico Hulkenberg having uh, issues. Different issues, we're being told. One was mechanical, one was electrical. And uh, mm. good news, though, for Lewis Hamilton, who was able to uh, capitalise on what must have been a very disappointing end for Charles Leclerc. Yeah, you feel for him, don't you? Yeah. Amazing pole position, led a bulk of the race, and then technical problems dropped him back as it unfolded and ended up finishing third. So still got the podium, but um, yeah, for, you'd have to be frustrated if you were him, obviously, and, and Ferrari as well, who, remember, spent most of the second half of last year engineering themselves out of a championship with Vettel. Um, yeah, and, and Mercedes will feel like they were probably gifted that one too because they just did not have the car speed in Bahrain. Ferrari were so good there in, in such a contrast to uh, Albert Park, to that opening round where they were really disappointing. So, yeah, it was a great race, though. Lots going on. I, I, I'm I'm enjoying it this year. It's just got a little bit of invigoration, if that's a word, in it for me. Um, last year was so frustrating when that championship battle sort of spotted out. Yeah. But but now we've had two rounds with two vastly different results. Even though the the finishing order was the same with with Mercedes one two, um, you know that that was Ferrari's motor race for most of it, and they had comfortably the pace to win it. So. There's a bit going on, isn't there? And the midfield battle is is just intense. And Renault are competitive-ish. They're okay. They're not as fast as I think they'd like to be, but they look pretty strong. McLaren, probably the biggest story in that they are now probably the fourth, maybe fifth fastest team, I would have thought, which yeah. is a good story. So that's a, a comeback for them. And Lando Norris continues to be really impressive for them. Uh, yeah, I, I like it. You know, the, the Alfa Romeo team are good and Raikkonen continues to score points um pass a, a quick as they have been for the last couple of seasons so yeah that that midfield fight's really good but as as long as Ferrari can continue to apply the pressure to Merck at the front it's going to be a really really good battle for the whole season and that's what F1 desperately needs it doesn't need Lewis Hamilton winning the championship no. by 100 points and wrapping it up before the final rounds and there's this 
it needs a really hard competitive year with guys like Charles Leclerc and Bottas especially being contenders week in, week out to, to give us four regular contenders and then the Red Bulls will un- undoubtedly pop up every now and then if they have a good weekend. A, a question that uh, I'm not sure whether you're going to know the answer to straight away, but I'll, if you need 10 seconds to think about it, I'll let you have that as well. Will Daniel Ricciardo's move from Red Bull to Renault be proven to be one of the worst moves ever in the history of motorsport? No. No. Okay, that's all I need. No. Well, well, you can't judge after two races. No, no, I know you can't, but I'm just trying uh, to get an early indication on that. No, he went in with eyes open. Uh, it was very clear as to where Renault was and where they were going to be this year. I don't think anyone had any thoughts that they were going to win races this season unless they get massively lucky. No, true. Um, I, I think Dan's playing the long game, and there'll, there'll be a couple of things that, that factor into this. Money is obviously one thing. Two is that he's got this opportunity to build a team around him because he knew that that Red Bull would be Max Verstappen's team in perpetuity. Um, it, it was. I, I think it's a good decision. Renault have won every time they've been in the sport. So you go back to when they came back in and yep. took over Benetton in the early two thousands. They they built and built and eventually won the world championship with Alonso in 03 and 04. Um, disappeared for a while, came back, branded Lotus, but it's the same team, tipped away. Kimi Raikkonen won some races with them. They were almost legitimate contenders week in, week out. Um, they've won every time they've been back in the sport. The way the, the F1 is at the moment, it's so difficult to make up that lost ground. So they've just got to hang on until 2021 when the new regs come in, and it's a clean sheet of paper for everyone. And I've got no doubt that they will be as good as anybody in the series. And then they'll have a fired up Dan Ricardo and a very experienced Dan Ricardo to go and, uh, and fight at the front. So I think he's playing the long game. Um, I think he knows that they know where they're at. Um, but I, I think it will pay off. Ultimately, it might just take some time. Happy, happy with that answer. Happy with that answer. We'll uh, review that in 18 months time at the end good. of the 2020 but season. Worst move in history is a big call. Damon Hill went from a world championship winning Williams to an Arrows that barely qualified in Melbourne the year after. So, uh, mm. yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah well. I don't know. We'll wait and see. Uh, we should also mention, too, just some other categories down at uh, Tassie for the uh, the Supercar event. And uh, the, the young kids in the uh, GT3 Cup Challenge in their Porsches get the opportunity to, uh, to race on a Supercars card for the first time in a long time or the first time full stop? Right. First time ever yeah. in 11 years of the category, 12th, 12th season of Cup Challenge this year. Yeah, it's a great story. And like Super 3, that category has just blown up this season with young guys coming into it. So there's seven Michelin Junior drivers in it. And you mentioned Jaden Ojeda going into Super 3. Well, half the form of the four field's gone into yeah. uh, into GT3 Cup Challenge. So there's there's half a dozen good young kids out of open wheel racing in there. Um Harry Jones, who won Formula 3 last year, is in there. Aaron Love. Uh, Aaron Love, brother of Jordan, who was a, a winner last time out. He's a terrific driver. Aaron will be very, very strong, and that's that's a pathway to Career Cup as well. Um, Ryan Shull, who's been so good yeah. in Formula 4 for a couple of seasons, he's jumping in. Um, and and it's it's the same deal, uh, that that these teams in Carrera Cup are running cars in Cup Challenge, A, because they've got cars, B, because they've got people, and C, because it's a, a proven feeder to bring drivers up through the ranks. So 22 cars at Simmons Plains is going to be a brilliant start to the season. There's probably eight kids I would have thought that can win races in that category this year. And um, it, that, that racing is going to be awesome. And they haven't been to Tassie since 2010. So it's a clean sheet of paper for this car and for a lot of the field down at Simmons Plains. It's going to be a great weekend for that category. Actually, a couple of the F4 boys could have a real advantage there because they were at Tassie last year. Yep. So that yep. could be a real advantage for Ryan Shull and Aaron Love uh, when it comes to that. Hundred percent, not the not the hardest track in the world to no, learn. No, no, must no. Be said, but uh, still, got to mm. do the job. So yeah, every every lap will count. Yeah, you've done a good job. Thank you. Thanks. Oh, I appreciate the voice of support. <laughs> of course, the uh, the race talk uh, We are powered by here on the grid. Uh, much happening this week. Uh, well, I'm going to Tasmania. I don't know about you, but uh, I can't wait to get down there. I love that joint and uh, looking forward to going to Launceston. There's a couple of excellent pubs in that town. Mm. That's a lie. There's, there's a pub 
an excellent pub on every corner in that town. So uh, I can't wait to get down there. Good place, great racetrack, great event, and should be a fascinating weekend of supercars action. And I can't wait to hear about your escapades next Monday. There'll be no escapades. I'll be very, very <laughs> well behaved. I'm yeah. always well behaved, Shebex. Maybe I need to speak to somebody else then. Except in Darwin. Yeah, maybe not. Exactly. Maybe not Darwin. Hey, uh, catch you soon. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Crowley. Richard Crowley from the Race Talk. Com, joining us here uh, following up uh, what's going to happen this week, a uh, preview of supercars racing. A break, back with more in just a tick. It's been a fantastic start to the season for this guy and his team, of course, Milwaukee Racing. We speak of Will Davis, and he joins us on the line now. G'day, Will. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Shebex, how are you? Mate, I'm, fa- I'm fantastic, thank you. Uh, got you at a bad time. You're ordering breakfast or something, eh? Yeah, yeah. I'll give, um, I'll give Jamie's car wash at Loka a plug, hey? I'm just grabbing the... Uh, the- the morning coffee after being in the gym. <laughs> oh, fair enough, too. Fair enough. Hey, mate, uh, congratulations on the start to 2019. I don't think you guys could have uh, asked for anything better, really, could you? Yeah, it's been, been a really exciting start. I mean, even the off-season, I was, I was pretty, pretty pumped, you know. Three years in single-car, small operations. Um, but being able to, you know, keep my relationship with Phil and 23 Red, uh, Milwaukee, but bring our sort of little operation across to Tickford and bring it all under their roof. Has been a yeah huge step for us and a huge call by Phil. So um, yeah, I'm pumped. I'm uh, yeah, just just listen, really thriving, being in a big environment, a team I've you know I got a lot of fond memories at from my years at FPR, um, and a real shot. You know, introducing the Mustang as well has been a huge boost. I think for all Ford fans, um, the whole series in general. Um, and for us, you know, as a team and uh, the drivers, you know, we've got a real weapon on our hands as well. I think you've hit something, definitely you've hit something on the head there in regards to Phil Mundy. He probably is a, an extremely clever businessman, isn't it, to you, uh, to to have the, uh, the balls, I suppose, to go and do what he's done, knowing that it was going to be okay for him. Yeah, I mean, Phil's been around the sport a long time, but he's, uh, he's, a, he's a cool guy to work for, you know. He's got his fingers in so many different pies and he's got so much going on for someone that's technically retired from his panel business um he's just a mover and shaker and uh, he loves the sport um you know and he loves motorsport and he just wanted to have a crack and he puts his money where his mouth is you know he doesn't um you know he doesn't beat around the bush he he, he wants to do it properly and um together with me you know we're, we're you know, we're, we're trying to, to just get to the front of the grid, and really, that's all he wants to do. So, I'm, I'm really lucky to have someone like Phil, um, you know, running the team, and just really can't wait to get him, you know, his first podium. And I know how much he dreams of a Peter Brock trophy. So, um, certainly, you know, we're doing everything we can to, to give ourselves the best shot of that. And for yourself, Will, do you feel reinvigorated in uh, supercar racing at the moment? It's been a couple of lean years for you and tough years for you uh, as 2019 brought a whole new perspective on life for you? Well, yeah, I don't want to sound cliche. I mean, every year you come in motivated and, and ready to, to give it your best effort. Uh, but, yeah, I'd be lying if I said I didn't feel a, a slight uh, little bit of extra rejuvenation and motivation this year. Uh, you know, I've seen the sport from all different angles. I've been with the big teams. I've had great results. I've been with the little teams with you know, no money and no resource and, and really been out there battling at times as well. So, yeah, to have that shot again in a big organisation, I wasn't sure I'd have that opportunity again. Uh, with three really fast teammates, um, is, yeah, is, is huge. You know, there's nowhere to hide, no excuses. I don't, I, yeah, I don't have the energy to, to waste on that sort of stuff now anyway. You know, I just want to be the best I can be and, and certainly um, think we've got a good shot this year. So, yeah, it's, it does rejuvenate you going out to every race, uh, knowing you've got a, a real chance to, to get some silverware. So uh, I'm, I'm loving that, loving that big team environment again. You also mentioned the Mustang and the opportunity to get around in a, a brand-new car in 2019. Uh, tell us the, the differences that you've noticed between the Mustang and, and any car you've driven recently. 
Well, it's very difficult for me to pinpoint on, on the era of the car. I mean, they've, they've clearly done a good job, um, you know, within the rules, um, you know, that the Falcon hadn't been redone in five or six years. Mm. So I think the ZB was the probably the superior car last year. And I think, you know, Ford, with Ford Performance, you know, had the, had the chance to really, um, you know, get the car maximised and optimised to the regulations. And, uh, yeah, it is a nice balance aero-wise. I think it's quite efficient, the car. And But, you know, the big shift for us this year is underneath the skin, to be honest, from where our car was being run last year uh, on our own, uh, bringing it into Tickford. We've got, you know, quite a quite a few different components underneath the car, some steps up in the engine program. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a combination of things which has seen us vault up the grid and uh, knowing there's more in the pipeline and being amongst meetings uh, with potential development items is, is what I've really missed, you know, the last three years in little customer, customer teams. You mentioned the Peter Brock Trophy. You've won Bathurst twice yourself. Once again, you team up with uh, brother Alex for a, uh, an enduro run again this year. The way you've started and, and from what you've seen team-wise in 2019, you must feel extremely confident that Bathurst definitely is on the radar as a, as a possible win this year. Well, you know, you've got to put yourself in with a shot. You've got to make sure you give yourself every opportunity. I think, you know, everyone in the sport at the moment is aware that it's, oh, it is so tough. I mean, there are so many potential winners every single weekend. But you've got to put yourself in that group. And um, for sure, I think we're doing that at the moment. We're clearly proving that uh, we've got a great package and we've got a, a great team of engineers um, in the garage, which is what you need at Bathurst. You know, it's such a team sport. Um, your strategy, thinking on your toes, your pit stop efficiency. Um, you know, being back in a big team, that's that's really what you need to go and challenge for that trophy. So Phil Phil was a very, very close friend of Peter Brock's. Um, and, yeah, I, I see it in his eyes, you know, what it would mean to him to get a result there. So uh, for him, that's by far the most important race of the year. And uh, for me, every race is important. But, you know, we've, we've got Alex back on board, which personally I'm really excited about. Um, you know, we, we, we did okay last year. We just didn't quite have the, the tools to fight with. But I think, uh, you know, I've let him know that we've got a bit of a weapon this year. He'll have his first run down in Tassie in the co-driver session. And, and uh, yeah, listen, we'll, we'll, yeah, for us as brothers, yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, this is the year where we get on that podium together. You keep talking about the, uh, the, the movement into the big team and how much of a difference that's made to, uh, to your team in particular for 2019. Do you feel that we may never see a, a small operation actually get up and win a championship. But is, it, is it extremely tough now for a one-car operation or even a, a, a sort of a lesser two-car operation to actually do and be competitive re- week in and week out? No, listen, I think two-car is the optimum model. Um, you know, four-car can work if you're very strong in your, in your leadership and, and uh, the way the team's managed which I think Tickford do a very good job of that now. Our place is running really smoothly. But single car really is tough. Like, I'm very proud that I was able to win Bathurst in 2016 with Techno. I think the first single car team to do that in about 20 years, Mm. I think. I can't remember the exact number. Um, Listen, you can be competitive. You you can be there or thereabouts. Uh, You know, we had a few things roll our way that day. Um, but to do it from the front, um, you know, it is tough. You're sharing a pit boom with generally another another team. Uh, all these little things add up in single ca- single car teams. You don't quite have the latest little widget or the latest little upgrade as the year goes on. And you know, I think the sport's done a very good job to make sure that smaller teams can be competitive. They can be in the hunt for top fives, top tens, pick up the pieces if any disaster happens. But to actually win a championship over the series of the year, uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I finished fifth. I was pretty happy with that in 16, but um, very, very difficult, but not impossible. <laughs> the, uh, exactly. The other category, of course, you have a, a big affiliation with and love is Formula One, and one would say that that's definitely past that situation where those small teams are going to get up and compete for a championship. If you're not a Mercedes, a Ferrari, or possibly even a Red Bull, it just seems to be getting harder and harder each year, doesn't it? Well, to be honest, Jebex, I, I had this chat the other day, and in my lifetime, I can't see that anything's any different to what it's ever no, been. Um, people are just a lot more judgmental these days and demanding of, of greater entertainment. But um, there's always been runaway 
runaway winning teams, whether at the 80s with McLaren, early 90s with Williams, late 90s with Mercedes, Ferrari and Schumacher. I mean, there's always been, you know, huge spread out and the top teams can only win in Formula One more than any other category. So at the moment, the midfield in Formula One is tighter than I can ever remember seeing it. So, um, you know, I think there's new budget, uh, you know, potential restrictions coming up in 2021. Yeah, it could be a huge turning point for Formula One. I just don't want them to kill kill what Formula One's all about as well. You had the opportunity, I believe, again this year to drive the two-seater at the Grand Prix. It must be a massive thrill for you. <laughs> it is fun. It uh, gives me that little smell and that little taste of Formula One. You know, I spent my whole life um, dreaming of, of being in F1 and, and you know, I was very close there at a certain period, so... Yeah, it's cool. I enjoy it. They fire it up. It's still a lot of fun to drive. It's a real buzz. And the main thing is, you know, just working with Paul Stoddart and still the Minardi team and, and uh, just giving giving the thrill of a lifetime for so many people. It's, it's an experience you can't really, um, you know, describe. So, um, And I won't lie, I'm like a little kid sitting in the front <laughs> as well. And, I, and I've got to say, the most uh, popular car at the Grand Prix this year was a two-seater Minardi, just due to the sound and people reminiscing about what Formula One cars used to sound like. Yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly right. And, um, you know, the Formula One cars of today, they are so, as a purist like myself, they're so impressive at the moment. They're actually mind-blowing to watch uh, from a driver's point of view. But, oh, I just, I can't, I just can't get used to it. The yeah. sound, I don't know, I don't know what we're doing or where we're going <laughs> these days. The technology is so cool, but... That V10 just, yeah, is just what F1's all about. And I still run up and down pit lane there when I'm driving that two-seater up pit lane. And I still see a bunch of the Formula 1 teams, you know, out the front of their garage filming me coming past. You still see them all uh, reminiscing and, and loving the, the old-school sound. Mate, we head down to Tasmania this weekend for what promises to be a, another fantastic round of supercars, round three of the championship after Adelaide and Albert Park. And if memory serves me correct, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think you might have been the last driver to win down in Tasmania other than a Triple Eight driver. Oh, there you go. Um, there you go. Yeah, 2016 in a in a Triple Eight customer car. So um, <laughs> they're, they've proved to be uh, very, very fast. You know, Triple Eight there over the years. Um, yeah, and Techno there. I had a double podium in 16 with a win on the Sunday. So And a pole position, actually. So, uh, yeah, I, I love Tassie. I've, I've had a bit of everything there, including ending up in hospital in 2017 for a few nights. Um, so, yeah I've, I've, um, yeah, I've had some good results there. Last year was very tough, though, so you're only as good as your, your last event, really. So for Tickford and our cars last year, it was it was a real struggle, but a lot's changed this year, and I expect we'll be much stronger than last year. But this is still on, on our, on our um, list of circuits, probably one where we've got a little bit of a question mark as to how we'll perform. So a real challenge, but we're all up for it and, um, and can't wait. Uh, do we expect that uh, the Mustangs are going to show us anything different at Tasmania as to what they've done in the first two rounds? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, there's the centre of gravity um, parity, you know, equalisation apparently for this weekend. Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll see what, what that does to the performance of our car. I don't think it'll be. A huge shift, although it's not ideal. We spend a lot of time and effort getting the centre of gravity as low as we can. Uh, but, yeah, as long as it's equal across all three makes, um, that's important for the series. Um, yeah, listen, this is a real straight line uh, circuit. Straight line speed has been a big strength of the Commodore last year, in particular Triple Eight cars. So, yeah, I think this, this could be a tougher tougher circuit than the last two. Um yeah, so I think we've improved that area from the Falcon. But, yeah, I think the Commodores are quick there for a reason. And, you know, everyone's jumped the gun after two rounds about how quick the Mustang is. But let's just let's just see this weekend. I think, this yeah, this could be a, a real fight this weekend between red and blue, which is what it's all about. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I can't wait. Yeah, Triple Eight uh, have won 10 out of the last 12 races since 2014 down there in Tassie. So one would expect if they're going to come back into the series in 2019 that this could be the start for them. We'll always appreciate your time. Thank you so much for that, mate. And we wish you all the best for the remainder of 2019. Yeah, always a pleasure. Thanks, Tony. Will Davison joining us here on The Grid. One, two, three...
And to talk all things two wheels, of course, we catch up with Braxy. G'day, Mark Brax. G'day, Shebex. How are you on this beautiful day? It is a gorgeous day, isn't it, uh, down here in Melbourne and a good week coming up. It's uh, been a pretty interesting weekend, uh, MotoGP, round two of the series. And uh, your take of it? Um, well, what a masterclass by Marquette. He was showing that sort of form in uh, practice and qualifying all through the sessions. He seemed to be quicker and uh, doing it quite easy. And uh, we knew that, well, he's been on the pole many times before. He hasn't converted them into race wins due to, well, last year was the standout when he um, had the, you know, that ride through penalty for going up the riding up the wrong way on the grid, then having a garbage way through the field, being the bowling ball and knocking everybody off, including uh, his main rival, Valentino Rossi. But, mate, he just took off from the line and uh, when, once he got into the coin, like he was the second in front within half a lap and it was just like, wow. Um, and let the rest fight over the scraps. But I'll tell you what, the, um, the scraps, I think uh, Cal Crutchlow has every, has every right to be a bit... Uh, Peeved. I don't know if you saw the race, but he got done for a jump start, which did, inflicts yeah. a, a ride through penalty. And I've looked at the footage a couple of times, and Freddie Spencer's the new uh, technical advisor in that regard. And Freddie Spencer, the multiple world champion from the 80s. Um, and I'm still trying to find out where he actually jumped, if he moved or anything. It must have been just a millimetre or something, but talk about hard done by. Um, Crutchlow won there last year. He's been on the podium three times in the last four years, so he, he's a pretty handy punter around that uh, uh, Terra Termas track down in Argentina. But, geez, to get stung by that, I think maybe they should um, change the rules as far as the riding to have that uh, do the long lap that they've brought in. Yep. If you've done if you've passed under the yellow or whatever, or if you've gone out the circuit limits, there's a part of the track that they're using as a... Um, an extended lap to be a, a, a slight penalty, but not that basically losing a minute and for Cal Crutchlow to get back into the pits and then get back out on the 13th position after riding dead last and being the only one that was doing the lap times with uh, that match mark, Mike Heather's, um, well, an, annihilation of the field. It's only what might have been if uh, Cal could have been in the race for the whole time. But take nothing away from that finish second and third, Valentino Rossi and Andrea De Vizioso. Um, and Valentino Rossi's been known to give uh, De Vizioso a bit of a riding education in the last, uh, well, last decade or so. And he did it again, playing the master game right till the very end and uh, got there into the second position after he threatened a few times during the race. But... Uh, it's shaping up as a good season. 40 years old and he's still beating guys basically, well, not half his age, but they're a lot younger than him. And that was the, uh, what was it? It was the 20, uh, 23rd anniversary, so the 24th season he's been racing. On that day, he made his debut in the Malaysian Grand Prix on the 31st of March, 1996. And you've you got to, you shake your head in wonder, yeah. haven't you? I know we've got guys like... Uh, John Bow and Coward that have been racing in, uh, in Australia for many years, but to be doing it at the top level and to still have that enthusiasm, like in the park firm afterwards, during the press conference and everything, he just exudes that love of the sport. He just, you know, he, even if on a bad day, he seems to be having a good day because he's out there riding the bike and doing what he loves, and he's probably thought, geez, what am I going to do after I finish with this? No, that's right, Brad. Um, for him, though, it was his first podium in 11 races, so it's been a long dry spell for him. Yeah, well, that's partly well, partly his fault, too. Uh, remember Malaysia, he was in the lead uh, with a few laps to go and that monumental dice he was having with Mark Marquez and tipped it into the... Um, first turn, that hairpin that comes back to do the run down the hill at Sepang, and he just went in there a bit quick, and it was a very innocuous uh, front-end lose, uh, and then he did the same at Valencia, so it was his own fault. He even said that in the post-race um, interviews, that, you know, he, he finished the year on a, on a dud, and he didn't want to do, you know, he said, I'm never going to do that. He said, it make, makes me more determined to come back. And the fact that Yamaha have been doing a lot of work on their bike, they still haven't got the top-end speed of the Ducati, which was quite noticeable on that long straight at the circuit to turn us on the weekend, where Divisioso just, he didn't have to really slipstream, he just opened the gas and went past him at, uh, at will. 
But then on the other side of the coin, Rossi showed uh, that the bike is can handle because once he got in front, it was very difficult for uh, Debussy to get anywhere near him. And well, and then on the other other side of the pit box. Um, Maverick Vinales, he's got to learn how to start a race because yeah. uh, uh, he's doing the same thing. He managed to battle his way through, but then he's asking too much of his tyres before he gets there. And then, unfortunately for him, he tagged uh, um, Morbidelli just going into like trying, as you do, you know, they're racing, there's a couple of laps to go, you're fighting for positions and everything. Just got a bit over exuberant, just tagged the back of his uh, rival's bike, like, and um, both of them went down, unfortunately, but that's just the nature of the beast when you try. But you've got a Vinales is really up against it with his starts, whereas Rossi, um, he could be coming. Uh, well, as we saw in Qatar, I think he was eighth or ninth or maybe further back on the grid, and managed to get through to just meet miss out on a podium, where he um, comes and gets he was fifth fastest, fourth fastest on the weekend in the qualifying gets a good start and he's right in it from the very start. And as we know, Rossi's a Sunday rider. It doesn't matter what's happening to him during the course of the day. Once that uh, the sun rises on the Sunday, there's a different Rossi that comes out of the pit box. It's just that I think, um, I suppose after so many years, you go through trying your hardest, but then you know that the rush of the grid and everything else is what you're living for. So I think even though Marquette has put his stamp on it and go, well, you're going to have to you know, really come up with something to beat me Again, as he goes on to march to another championship, I think it's going to be pretty well. Once they get back to Europe, uh, I've got the uh, Circuit of the Americas in the next couple of weeks, um, and he has oh, he's got a mortgage on that. Well, he's not mortgage; he owns the place. Yeah. Um, pole positions. He's run one every race he's contested there. Um, he is in his league of his own, but as they say, the closer you get, the longer you go without losing, the closer you are to losing, or vice versa, isn't it? So yeah, true. Um, and we know in this fickle world of motorcycle racing, as what happened to Marquette on the weekend that when he's um, chain jumped the sprocket, um, what's to say that that doesn't happen in a race? You know, there's all these other variables that can come into it. Uh, but um, Marquette, mate, he's just a he is a machine. He is a freak, and he's one of the and he's a nice guy to boot. You know, he's got that enthusiasm. He doesn't walk around with his bottom lip going out. He always seems to find a, a, um, that silver lining on the cloud no matter what happens. But, mate, what a race all the way through it. Um, and it wasn't only the battle for the lead. There was, what, eight of them, eight of them lying astern in that battle for the um, for the podium, basically. Well, the great thing is that Jack Miller really uh, took it up oh, to yeah, as well, I, and he was, he was just, very much a part of that. I was just about to get onto that because he was, uh, you know, he was he did well there last year. Um, this year, you know, he had that um, bit of a well, you can't call it a mechanical issue. It's just the glue didn't take the uh, the, the fiberglass or the carbon fibre at uh, Qatar, and that forced his retirement. But Jack, now that he's on that um, GP19 Ducati, the same as what Petrucci and um, Davizioso are on on the factory Ducati team. He knows he's got the machine to do it, and he was right in there mixing it up with them left, right, and centre. And, um, you know, it's good to see. Well, as we said at the beginning of the year when we were doing my preview of the year, Tone, that he's got to do something this year or we'll um, find himself out on the outer because it's a fickle game there. We'll see what happened about Tista. Um, but he's now he's fighting for that um, championship the factory ride because Petrucci's only got a one-year deal with the Ducati yeah. factory. So it's up to Jack to come up with the goods. And in both races so far, he's proven that he's got the, the willpower, the firepower and the grit to go out there and do it. And it was great to see him up there and, well, battling for the podium in the first half of the race until he probably asked too much of his tyres, going out on a soft option that a lot of them did. And whereas um, Rossi was on the medium ones that he was over the last distance. But now I expect... Uh, it won't be too long before we see Jack Miller on the podium. And uh, it'll be good to see an Aussie on the podium in MotoGP. But speaking of that, we've got another one in the Moto2 category now with Remy yeah, Gardner. haven't we? we Any um, doubt they had of him? And, you know, he's always had the knockers of being, oh, he's only there because his old man's got money and his old man's a world champion. Well, I think they've um, got the humble pie and the egg and face all, all in one at the moment. It's a very uh, mixed-up omelette they've got to chew on because uh, Remy, now that he's on that bike, the Kalex, after being on the 
Uh, I won't say what I was going to say about the uh, Tech 3 machine that he had on for the last couple of years, but he's proven and he's taken that next step. He knows now that he can battle for the lead. And um, to be in front of that race with those pack of um, madmen in the Moto2 <laughs> category, it was like a Moto3 race actually, Tone, wasn't it? The, yes. um, Chewing and throwing of it, but um, Gardner's now showing that he's um, got the goods to fight for the championship in Moto 2. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm shooting off at the mouth too early because he's proven in two races that he can do it. He just missed out on the uh, podium in Qatar by um, B's, yeah. B's foot. And um, he's gone there yesterday uh, on the weekend, pardon me. And, um, you know, he was with us within 1.4 seconds of the win. Um, and he was leading the race against those guys that have got a lot more experience with battling at the front of the field. And, mate, I was sitting there in, in admiration of the guy, and I'm sure that Wayne was back there in Barcelona. Um, you know what they say about dads are more nervous watching their kids race them when they were racing themselves. So, And especially with what Remy came back with last year after smashing both his legs to pieces in that uh, missed time motocross jump that he did when he was training and basically showing off in front of his mates. Yeah. Um, you know, he's come back from that and he's put it all behind him and he's got he's, he's got the, the true um, gardener grit in him that uh, he'll put anything behind him as long as he can get up to the front. Man, some of the moves he was putting on to those guys, he's got the determination and the balls like his old man has got, that's for sure. No, he certainly has and uh, I think he's, he's quite... Uh, at the end of the race, you've got no idea how long this has been. I've been waiting for this. That's so true, and hopefully there'll be plenty more to come. The first podium for Remy Gardner uh, in what hopes to be a very, very long career. Braxy, they head off to the States uh, next time around, a couple of weeks' time? Yeah, um, mid-April, the Circuit of the Americas down there in uh, Dallas, Texas. Um, a great spot. That, well, it's supposed to be a great Grand Prix. Hopefully, I'll get to it one of these days. But uh, I suppose anything in America is bigger and better than everywhere else, isn't it? Isn't it? That's <laughs> so, what they say. But I think we, you know, like we just alluded to, Marquez has got a, um, a mortgage on that place, or he owns the joint. But you know, exists. Can anybody stop him? And I think there's a few now that can, because now I've got with this uh, Patronus Yamaha team with the likes of Morbidelli. And his teammate that have come into it, um, his name escapes. They've just come straight up from Moto too. Um, those guys are really under the pace, you know, they're, and they're mixing it up with these guys. It's going to be uh, one hell of a championship. Marquette, obviously the favourite, but Divisioso is going to be there. Rossi now has proven again that age shall not weary. And there's anyone, like we said, Jack Miller's in there. Um, the power of the Ducati could come to the fore at... Um, uh, the Circuit of the Americas, because there's uh, a lot of longer straights there. Right. Uh, but um, I think it's uh, Marquez's private scale electrics track because he's got a groove around that that he just fits into and no one can seem to find it. Uh, we'll see how he goes and talk about it in a couple of weeks' time. Braxy, thanks for your time as always, mate. Do it again soon. No worries, mate. Have a good day. Mark Brax joining us here on The Grid. That's word because you know you can't touch this. Can't touch this. Break it down. Well, there you have it. Another big show. Thanks to Braxy Krause and Will Davison for joining us on the grid, of course, powered by the racetalk.com. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to bringing you another show next week where we'll wrap up what happened down in Tassie for the supercars and a preview of Phillip Island, which is the weekend after. All that to come next week. Talk to you then.